Welcome to Museum Camp. I'm Megan. I'm Madison. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to Immature History. Hi. Hi. We are here to just rip articles right off the internet and oh, yeah. read them to you verbatim. It's very ethical. It's very ethical. <laughs> we have no qualms. Yeah. I actually don't have any qualms because uh, that's this whole thing. And we, you know, cite sources and we don't claim. Yeah, credit. it's fine. It's fine. Speaking of which, my source today is from timeline.com. Oh. And this was written by Laura Smith uh, in September of 2017. And I'm going to tell you all about Bridie Murphy. I don't know who that is. Oh, okay. I thought Not off of name, have. maybe off of deed. Okay. 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 <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> At a dinner party in 1952, a young Colorado housewife named Virginia Teague reclined on a couch in a candlelit room. A man, Maury Bernstein, had a parlor trick to show his friends. He lifted a candle in front of Teague's face. Teague, I think it's Teague. Did I say Teague? How do you spell it? T-I-G-H-E. Oh, that's a toughie. I think it's Teague. I'm gonna gonna say Teague. Okay. Okay. He lifted a candle in front of Teague's face. Keep your eyes on the flame, he told her. And while I talk to you, you will become sleepier and sleepier. Once she was in a trance, Bernstein said, I want you to keep going back, back through space and time. What did she see there? Tig, who had never been to Ireland, began speaking in a thick Irish brogue. Oh, no. (laughs) She told Bernstein that she was born in 1798, was the daughter of a cork barrister, and had married another. She rattled off her complicated Irish lineage, some Irish folklore, and the names and locations of some shops in Cork. She even spoke a little Gaelic, explaining that loch meant lake, which is oh, like that's an easy one. That's low hanging. That's a fruit. really easy one. <laughs> <laughs> She was, she said, the reincarnated spirit of the 19th century Irish housewife named Bridie Murphy, who had been dead for a hundred years. Her statements would spark an international sensation and a heated debate on the afterlife, making Bridie Murphy a household name. Can I just say, (laughs) I've not heard this story. Okay. Can I just say that I fully believe her? Like, yeah, well, you have to believe women. Yeah. <laughs> she fully was this ghost. She was. And just and let you can't her convince me like, otherwise. Well, and even if it's not true, like what's the harm in believing it? Yeah, what's the harm? Who's getting hurt here? Yeah, but also it's probably true. It's my stance right now. It's probably true. A name like Bridie, I mean, yeah. Yeah. That's a an amazing name. It's a deep cut. <laughs> The story of Bridie Murphy was made public by a three-part series in the Denver Post examining Tig's hypnosis, hip, Jesus Christ, hypnosis, hypnosis, (laughs) you did it. Oh my God. Oh, it's been a long day. (laughs) We're doing amazing. This does not bode well for the rest of the thing. 
<laughs> the rest of the thing. The rest of the thing. Journalists, genealogists, and historians then flocked to Ireland to investigate her claims. Scientists <laughs> issued a report of all things. Oh my God. <laughs> a whole goddamn report. Preachers warned their flocks of fads in faith. Those guys know how to ruin fun. Yeah. Not all of them, but... mm, But, uh, yeah. mm. Quick trigger warning here. This next sentence is rough. Um, A teenager shot himself saying that he wanted to investigate reincarnation personally. Oh. Yeah, that's a sad one. Bernstein wrote a book about it uh, called The Search for Bridie Murphy, which became a movie by the same name, which I kind of want to watch. I really want to watch. Yeah. Uh, People held Bridie Murphy parties uh, called Come As You Were parties. (laughs) Oh, my God. We have to. Incredible. (laughs) Bring it back. Bring it back. And parents greeted their newborns with Welcome Back. (laughs) I am obsessed with all of this. I love it. One writer predicted that by 2001, we would be able to scientifically prove Bernstein's theory. The New York Times would later say that the incident, quote, became a 1950s phenomenon rivaling the hula hoop. Those are, I mean, that's neck a and neck statement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But the stakes of the investigation into Bridie Murphy were much higher and more revealing of human nature than a plastic toy. If Tig and Bernstein were telling the truth, everything we thought we knew about human existence was wrong, and the world was rich with metaphysical possibilities. And I would argue, mm, there are a lot of people who believe in reincarnation. So yeah. So it's not that everything we know is wrong. Yeah, maybe this article is a little um, short-sighted. Yeah. If Tyg was lying or confused, then your one life was all you had until your wasted body decayed into nothingness. It's a little bleak. Yep. Bernstein was a successful Pueblo, Colorado businessman, businessman, (laughs) (laughs) who's fascinating doing so fucking good his <laughs> fascination with hypnotism began in the 40s when he saw a friend hypnotize a quote hapless woman at a party <laughs> he read everything he could on the subject and tried his hand on his wife and neighbors that's who you start with i think <laughs> his wife had to be so fucking annoyed like can I just live? Can I just live. <laughs> yeah. Initially, he was interested in accessing long forgotten childhood memories, but quickly he became more ambitious. He thought the human mind might contain, quote, unique creative forces which transcend the space time mass relations of matter. Hmm. Bernstein didn't strike gold literal gold until he hypnotized Virginia Tig, who was a family friend. Initially, his publishers printed a mere 10,000 copies of his book, but two months later, there were 200,000 in circulation and it topped the New York Times bestsellers list. Wow. 
Bridie Murphy wasn't just good for Bernstein. She was good for the hypnosis market in general, (laughs) which experienced, (laughs) (laughs) which experienced a 25 fold increase in sales. People found Bernstein sincere. He believed as if his life or lives depended on it. Of course, your lives, your lives, my lives depend on it. It's a matter of of lives and death. Oh my God. (laughs) Of course, skepticism about Bridie Murphy was immediate. Investigators unearthed some pretty damning uh, biographical details. As a young child in Chicago, Tig had lived across the street from a woman named Bridie Corkle. (laughs) As... As if Bridie and Corkle, which sounded suspiciously like Cork, were not enough, the woman's maiden name was Murphy. Okay. I repeat. <laughs> uh, Tig also had a Scotch-Irish aunt, which could explain how Tig knew so much about Ireland. Um, the they lock. didn't have the internet back then, you guys. Yeah. And most vexingly, no one could prove that anyone named Bridie Murphy had existed. <laughs> Great. <laughs> oh Tyga herself was unconvinced of her own purported reincarnation. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> the best sentence. You know what? Oh like God. just not being convinced of your own like recovered memories. That's so yeah, good. Just like, mm, I don't trust myself. And the fact that some, <laughs> like other, a bunch of other people are like, well, let's look yeah. a little further into it. <laughs> she couldn't explain what had happened in her hypnosis sessions and back in her lucid state, never claimed definitively that she was the Irish housewife incarnate. That's a good when sign. Bernstein, yeah. When Bernstein told her that he was planning to write a book, she insisted he use a pseudonym, Ruth Simmons. She was wary of the fame the story had brought her. Quote, if I had known what was going to happen, I never would have lain down on the couch, she said. Can't relate to that specifically. <laughs> yeah, I love laying down on the couch. <laughs> it's my favorite place. <laughs> I will always do it. Bernstein tried to tackle some of the investigators' doubts in the 1965 printing of his book. To the point about uh, Bridie Corkle, Bernstein explained that Tyke had never known the woman's first name, nor presumably her maiden one. The Scotch-Irish aunt lived uh, in New York and had no real knowledge of Ireland. Hmm. I just feel like that's, he's making some assumptions there. Yeah. In the end, most researchers settled on a single explanation of the case. Bridie Murphy probably didn't exist. Tig's revelation was likely a case of cryptomnesia, a memory mm-hmm. glitch in which a person, a memory glitch in which, that's, that's a hard a thing real to say, poster. <laughs> in which a person weaves together forgotten strands of old memories and mistakes them for a new experience. You know what that sounds like? A dream. That does sound like a dream. Um, Bridie Murphy's story can be read as a curiosity of cultural history, but that would do a disservice to the fact that it revealed a distinctly human truth. Quote, most human beings are unwilling to face the idea that at death they vanish into husks 
and the formless ruin of oblivion, one opinion writer wrote. We don't know their name. But they have opinions. They've got opinions. And I can relate with that. (laughs) It was, after all, the Cold War, and people were being reminded daily that they could be annihilated at the push of a button. What if that button wasn't non-existence, but a restart? It seems a safer bet that Virginia Tighe was not the reincarnation of a dead Irish housewife, but the incarnation of the existential threat posed by nuclear war. Many found the cryptomnesia theory terribly disappointing. It implied not only that we merely have one life, but also that we are terribly suggestible beings willing to bark up some pretty outlandish trees in the search for meaning. Wow. Yeah. Righty Murphy, everyone. Fascinating. I always Mm -hmm. love when like people get like a head injury or something and then they wake up and they like speak fluent French or something. (laughs) You know, for a long time, I remember when I was a kid and I watched like a 60 minutes about someone who woke up with a British accent one day. Yeah. And like for a while, I like for a while, like a decade, I did not trust people with British accents. Like I just assumed (laughs) you just assumed they they were thinking Americans. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like always so suspicious. Oh, that's so good. What you got? Amazing. Um, so this one is special for you. This is the Wikipedia article for the Waffle House index. Oh, okay. Thank you. Do you know this one? No, but let's go. So good. Okay. And this is a very short article, but you know, it's fine. Okay, the Waffle House Index is an informal metric named after the Waffle House restaurant chain to determine the effect of a storm and the likely scale of assistance required for disaster recovery. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I'm aware of the concept. I did not know that that was the name for it. That's (laughs) like an actual thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was coined by former administrator Craig Fugate of the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA. The metric is unofficially used by FEMA to inform disaster response. (laughs) Uh, So the index is based on Waffle House's reputation for having good disaster preparedness and staying open during extreme weather or reopening quickly afterwards. Uh, Quote, if you get there and the Waffle House is closed, that's really bad. That's a quote from Craig Fugate, former head of I feel like I've said that sentence before. (laughs) Right. We've all been there. It's just in the universal subconscious. Uh Um, In our hive mind. Yeah. (laughs) So the index has three levels based on the extent of operations and service at the restaurant following a storm. And this is so funny to me. Um, So I love the idea of someone from FEMA just yelling, we've got a code yellow or something. And it's just about a Waffle House. Um, so code green, um, actually I'm just adding the word code. It just says green (laughs) full menu restaurant has power and damage is limited or no damage at all. Yellow is limited menu, no power, only power from a generator or food supplies may be low. And then red, the restaurant is closed. This indicates severe damage or severe flooding. They should change it from colors to smothered, covered, and chunked. (laughs) I cannot with you. (laughs) Oh, man. The listeners are going to love that one. They're going to love that one. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, So 
again, it says the term was uh, coined by FEMA Administrator Craig Fugate in May 2011, following the 2011 Joplin tornado, during which two Waffle House, the two Waffle House restaurants in Joplin remained open. Just incredible. Those tornadoes were so bad. I remember them yeah. so vividly. And the idea that like some 14 year old kid is just like making waffles and yeah. like is risking drunk people. their life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ugh. and like, I love that that's like a fun, <laughs> like little hilarious index. And like, also it's just the sign of a shitty employer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like just capitalism in full force sure uh the measure is based on the reputation of the restaurant chain waffle house for staying open during extreme weather and for reopening quickly albeit sometimes with a limited menu after very severe weather events such as tornadoes or hurricanes the chain's disaster preparedness measures include assembling and training waffle house jump teams um, (laughs) to facilitate fast reopening after disasters Waffle House, along with other chains such as Home Depot, Walmart, and Lowe's, which do a significant proportion of their business in the southern U.S. where when where there is a frequent risk of hurricanes, have mm-hmm. good risk management and disaster preparedness. Uh, because of this and the fact that a cut-down menu is prepared for times when there is no power or limited supplies, the Waffle House index rarely reaches red level. I mean, I will say at least they're, like, preparing their employees. Yes. <laughs> That's something. Yeah. Um, So the Waffle House Index sits alongside more formal measures of wind, rainfall, and other weather information, uh, such as the Safir Simpson hurricane scale, which are used to indicate the intensity of a storm. Mm. Uh, Dan Stone King, FEMA Director of External Affairs, wrote in a FEMA blog post, Quote, as Craig often says, the Waffle House test doesn't just tell us how quickly a business might rebound. It also tells us how the larger community is faring. The sooner restaurants, grocery and corner stores or banks can reopen, the sooner local economies will start generating revenue again, signaling a stronger recovery for that community. I fucking hate capitalism. I cannot handle this. It's so annoying. It's so annoying. Uh, The success, no mention of, you know, hospitals or like people dying. None of this. Yeah. No, it's about money. It's about money. (laughs) Um, the success of the private sector in preparing for and weathering disasters is essential to a community's ability to recover in the long run. Okay. Uh, uh, um, (laughs) a, I don't know what this stands for. F-O-I-O, a Freedom of Information Act. I didn't, I've never seen it abbreviated like that. Mm -hmm. A Freedom of Information Act request response in 2017 included emails saying that the Waffle House Index was a personal project of Craig Fugate's denying a connection between the Waffle House Index and FEMA's National Business Emergency Operations Center. (laughs) I love the idea that someone was so like troubled by this um, that they like had to write in for a freedom of information actor quest yeah. and be like, do you guys actually use Waffle House? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that seems, I don't know. Yeah, so good. Um, Silly. And then if anyone wants further reading, um, there's a related article on Wikipedia called the Big Mac Index. Um, oh boy. Which apparently is an informal way of measuring the purchasing power parity between two currencies. Oh, I don't know what that means really. All these indices. Yeah. I mean, indices on indices. Galore. Um, Galore. 
Wow. And that is the Waffle House Index. Beautiful job. <laughs> Great job reading that article. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. And campers, thank you for listening Ugh. to us read these articles verbatim to you. You guys are the best. You're the best. You are a code green to us. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that we really like you. All systems go. You. All systems yeah. are a go. Um, thank you for joining us, campers. <laughs> That's all we have for today. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>